And um, what a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, some faces I haven't seen before. Welcome. Um, and I hope that by God's grace this morning and by the power of the Holy Spirit, remember Jesus said, uh, I will send you the Spirit and the Spirit will testify of me. Often, you know, I've prayed, Jesus, um, you know, manifest yourself or glorify yourself. And he said, I gave you the Spirit and the Spirit will bring... Um, Bring testimony to me. He will be my witness. And so the prayer this morning is that the Spirit of God would, would touch you. The Spirit of God, I know for me there were, there were like barriers. There was a hard outer crust. And I just couldn't um, accept that Jesus died for my sin. And I remember just sitting there at times knowing it was the truth but thinking I'm numb to this. And then one day the Spirit just cracked open that outer shell and the light of God came in and um, I want to say this that Jesus Christ is real amen um, there's a lot of religion around there's a lot of hypocrisy there's a lot of fake I know all that I read everything I'm at times not only shocked but also look at my own life and think Lord why would you even save me let alone use me so we're aware of our humanity but I want to say this that Jesus Christ is real amen and Jesus Christ can completely and totally transform your life. That's the idea. How? Because it happened to me. I had all my own goals, ideals, dreams, um, arrogance. Um, said, Lord, I'll serve you when I'm a bit older and broken. And he said, I want you now or never. And I want to say that after some 40 years that Jesus is real. I would swap him for nothing. Amen. Um, I, I trust I'd be able to give up my life for him, which means he is real. And I want to say to you this morning, if you're here and thinking, like, I don't know, I'm confused. I don't know what's going on. The world's in a mess. Absolutely, the world is in a greater mess than it's ever been. Amen? People are smashing each other now. People are doing surgery to kids, which I still cannot get my head around to change their sex. It's like insane what's happening in 2023. Amen? And uh, Jesus is our refuge. He is our shelter. He's the one into whom we run. I have never loved my wife more after 35 years of marriage. What is that? His name is Jesus. He gives me a love for her. I see in her and I trust she sees in me God's handiwork and God's grace. Amen. And we are very grateful for Jesus. He's real. He can change you. He can soften you. He can make you into a completely different person. What I thought I would do this morning, Happy Easter, is, uh, is uh, talk to you about the most important week in the history of mankind. The religious call it the Holy Week, um, was the Easter week, um, but it's, it's the week of the, of the passion or the suffering of Christ, and uh, I'll take you a week Back, so let's say today, well today is Resurrection Sunday. Let's go back to the Sunday before, a whole seven days before, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the colt. Thank you, Tula, for being a good elder and helping the brother. Jesus rides into Jerusalem. He's just healed blind Bartimaeus. He has also just raised Lazarus from the dead. And he is now, it's the first time since the raising of Lazarus that he shows himself in the city. And um, there's a lot of stir because Jesus' miracles have been escalating 
more frequently as his time comes, his last week. And in John 12, 12, it says, The next day, a great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took out palm branches, Palm Sunday as it's called, and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! So there was a big stir. There were multitudes and throngs. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And just a bit further on, John 12, 17, Now the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. So it was that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on his donkey, but there was a stir around the issue of Lazarus, his friend, who was in the tomb for four days, had just been raised. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. And so Lazarus' resurrection would cause the religious leaders to get very angry, as if the, the religious were saying, the dead belong to us. We are the religious. We, we baptize into life and we bury into death. And Jesus is messing with life here and the dead belong to us. That's what a religious spirit does. A religious spirit brings death. And so there's this jubilation, this ecstasy, and then there's this, on the other side of the wall, or as he enters in, there's this religious hatred that's brewing among the religious. And they begin to cry, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming. They're quoting Psalm 118. But he wasn't coming as the king. He was riding on the fall of a donkey. He wasn't riding on a stallion. Um, some had thrown their cloaks over the, the donkey. But he was riding into Jerusalem as a lamb to lay down his life. They were trying to make him king, but he said, I've not come to be the king. And so he begins to teach that day as he would do. Um, the children even begin to shout, which further angered the religious. And they would say, Hosanna to the son of David. And the elders, as the scriptures tell us, become more and more indignant. And uh, on Monday comes, Sunday is a full day. It's that huge event. Monday comes, Jerusalem is buzzing. It's that, it's that week of the Passover week. Um, but the anger is, is welling up within the religious. There's helter-skelter, they're having meetings, as we know. And um, Jesus goes into the temple on the Monday, and he begins to say, you have failed, O Israel, in your mandate to be a blessing to the, to the nations. And um, he has a physical confrontation with what's happening in the, in the greater temple court because that Gentile court which, uh, or the, the greater temple area was to be a sign for the nations that God is actually the, the God of Israel. And if you could um, bring your people to see that the God of Israel is the God of the nations, but they had made it into a trade station or a den of thieves. And Jesus has a physical confrontation. We know he makes a whip and he goes and he begins to drive out those who are buying and selling. He overturned the tables and the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and he would not allow anyone. So here's this son of God. He's not a Pharisee or a, he has no jurisdiction, but he says no more trading, no more um, selling and buying of doves and lambs and pigeons. And uh, he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of thieves. They said, by what authority do you do this, Mr. Jesus? And he says, I, 
And then he asked the question back, was John's baptism, was it from God or from man? They won't answer. And he says, I won't tell you but by what authority, but I'm just telling you that this needs to stop. On Tuesday, uh, things are happening quickly. He's walking back to the temple once again. The third day goes back to the temple and he sees a fig tree and he goes to the fig tree and it's a fruitless fig tree. So he curses it and he says this, which has troubled many theologians and very pastoral people. He curses the fig tree and he says, may no one eat fruit from you anymore. And all the theologians and the Bible commentators will say that is a sign that Israel has, has, is a fruitless, a religious a bigotry nation where they are not, they cannot even see that this is the Son of God sent with healing in his wings and kindness and he's touching lepers and he's raising the dead, but they still find hatred towards him. Again, there's intense teaching. He brings a whole lot of parables. The different gospels will give you, give you accounts, different accounts. And um, Tuesday afternoon would be the last time that Jesus teaches it's very intense. You can go and read all the things he teaches. And Matthew, all the parables come out. And then Mark eleven eighteen, the chief priest and the teacher of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. So what happens, brothers and sisters, the religious spirit is an awful spirit. And sometimes it visits us as believers. We can even despise or hate in our heart. We can get angry as Christians. There's nothing worse than a Christian or a believer that has a spirit that comes upon him. And at times we can even, if somebody says, Jesus was not born of a virgin, or Jesus did not rise again, we can find in our own hearts an anger welling up. And that doesn't mean we ever tolerate um, false teachings. Not at all. But we've got to watch our heart. Without love you have nothing. And so oftentimes even we think we're so right. And so they felt that they were so right that Jesus was a blasphemer, but they wanted to kill him. Wednesday, what happens on Wednesday? Does anybody know? So there's been the Pharisees are plotting, the people are praising, and Jesus is preaching. And Wednesday comes along. Would it be a quiet day? Not much is said. Instead, they, they, most commentators looking at the Holy Week say Wednesday is a very quiet day. But Wednesday is actually an incredible day, I believe. Why is it so incredible? Because Jesus finds himself at the house of Simon, who's a Pharisee, who's a leper. He is known by a man what is, that's what's wrong with him. Simon the leper. How Jesus got to his house, how people got to his house, was an interesting one because you didn't associate with lepers. Lepers were castaways. They had to be put out. But um, there's, he's with Simon the leper. And um, this lady, propel, she's a propel lady. This lady, Mary of Bethany, Lazarus' sister, this is a lady who is way ahead of her time. This is a lady who has picked up something that no one else has picked up. This is an extraordinary lady. This is a lady that her sister said, I wish that Mary would get off her knees in front of Jesus and help in the kitchen. But this is a lady who just said, ah, just, there's something about this man. There's something about him can't explain it. I don't know why I do what I do. I'm putting words in her mouth. But I would imagine it goes something like this. And she brings an, an alabaster jar full of perfume. And she does an insane thing. She breaks the alabaster jar and she pours it on his head and his feet. And she begins to weep and wipe his feet with her hair. It was like popping a 
bottle of champagne, like a 200,000 rand bottle of champagne. It was worth a year's wages. The, the, the people said, this is a waste. Of course, Judas would say there's a total waste that should be given to the poor because he always had his eye on the money. And she pours out her life. She pours out. It's one thing for a very rich person to come and give a 200000 or $200,000 or whatever a year's wages was, but it's a year's wages. But this lady, all she had, they weren't a rich family. They were a family that Jesus loved, but she came and she gave everything she had. She's offering Jesus all that she is and all that she has. And Jesus wants everyone to know about this lady. And he says, leave her alone. She's anointing me for my burial. And I often think, um, Mary, how did, you, how did you think through this? What? And I believe if we speak to Mary, it's probably something like, even though I know the Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out, she said, I was like the Spirit led me. Like the Spirit led me. I, don't, I I mean, Mary, what gave you the courage to break into or to sort of enter into Simon's house? A woman does not just enter into a Pharisee's house while they're reclining and having a meal. And I mean, you made a bit of a spectacle. The whole room was filled with this thick aroma of nard or perfume. She's done a beautiful thing, Jesus says. Wherever the gospel is preached in the world, the story will be told in honor or memory of her but won't it overshadow you no says jesus tell it tell the story about mary wherever the gospel is preached in honor and in memory of her isn't that cool i must have a sense ladies you have access to the hearts of god like sometimes men struggle that's why the 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 the, the apostles were a bit dwarf sometimes the, the, but, the, but the woman went down to anoint the, the body of Jesus. Mary is the one who's preparing him for his burial. What happens on Thursday? Maundy Thursday. What does Maundy mean? You'll often see, what is Maundy? It's like it means command or mandate. Maundy is where he commissions his disciples. It's the last supper. He says, I give you a new command. Love one another as I have loved you. He washes their feet. It's a full day. They, they have to secure the Passover meal. Peter and John go ahead and get a house or a room. He washes their feet. He announces one of them is to betray him. And they all say, they were all very sad, the Bible says. And surely not I, Lord. Who, surely not I. Surely not I. And sometimes when Jesus' statement is made, you think, Jesus, is that me? Somebody in this room has unforgiveness. Is that me? Somebody in, in this room is plotting evil. Is that me? Somebody in this room is about to make a terrible mistake. Is that me? And um, Judas also, it depends which gospel you read, says, uh, surely not I, Rabbi. This is what Judas, Judas Iscariot says. And Judas says, it is you. I often think Judas, <laughs> he's got another gap. He's washed Judas' feet. Judas is, is having the last supper with them, the Passover meal. And um, he still cannot get himself out of his fix, his, his stupor, his, his idea that he has to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The Passover meal for the Jew would have bread, would have bitter herbs, would have carousette, um, which is nuts and fruit and spices to remind them of the mortar that they had to mix all the time to build Pharaoh's 
temples and whatever else they had to build. It's vegetables, speaking of new beginnings. It's the lamb or the lamb shank that they would have to eat, the Passover lamb, and it's a roasted egg to speak about the cycle of life. So they had seven pieces to their Passover meal. Jesus makes the meal real, and he says, this is my body, the bread, the unleavened bread broken, and this is the cup of my blood. My body is about to be smashed and broken for you, and my blood is to be poured out, which is for you, for the forgiveness of my sins. They go up to the Mount of Olives on Thursday night to pray. But it's not only just to pray for Jesus. His disciples fall asleep, we know. But they go up to the mountain and Jesus knows that this is his, his agony. This is where he, he, he sweats drops of blood. This is where he waits for his accusers and he sees after a while. And he's waiting, waiting, waiting. The disciples are sleeping. He's agonizing. He said, Lord, let this cup pass me. Not my will, but you're done. And then he sees this snake of torchlights coming up the mountain up to the Mount of Olives and the head of that would be Judas Iscariot they arrest him Uh, Judas kisses him Peter who says I'll never leave you I won't be like the others you know I'll stay with you says let me show you what I mean Jesus pulls out his sword and has a go at the soldier chops off his ear Jesus heals his ear and Peter and and Jesus says Peter put away your sword those who live by the sword will die by the sword Jesus is arrested Good Friday is suddenly upon there's a there's a a mock trial that happens quickly it happens by night Um, he the disciples have abandoned him one has betrayed him with a kiss they call for a secret, a sham trial. It's happening quickly through the night into Friday. They insist that Jesus should be crucified. It's a brutal, from the word uh, crucible or crucify, it's a brutal form of death. It is nothing like execution. It's nothing like hanging. It would be six hours with uh, nails in your hands. <clears throat> six hours with nails in your feet. You thought of a nail going through your bone, shattering your bone. He wasn't tied with a rope. The Bible says he was nailed to the cross, amen? And Jesus would go through excruciating pain. They try him. Pilate says, I don't know what's here. I mean, just can you bring me some water and I will wash my hands of this. I find nothing that, that he should be, that he deserves death. In fact, I'll tell you what, there's Barabbas and Jesus. Now, I need to release one to you. Which would you choose, Barabbas or Jesus? They said, no, we'll choose Barabbas. What? But there is no basis for the accusation against Jesus. Crucify him. He's a blasphemer. Crucify him. In his desperation, he sends Jesus to Herod, who's the head, who's the ruler of a Galilee, and says, Listen, Herod, who happens to be in the town, it says they were enemies, but there's, and he said, Herod, see if you can find fault with this man. My wife's having bad dreams. She says, I have nothing to do with him. Help. And all Herod can say is, Jesus, can you do some miracles? That's what the Bible says. Just like do a miracle. This man's life is in the balance. This is like it sends him back to Pilate. Pilate makes a call to keep the people happy. Never before or since has more been lost and gained in the same day. The world gained the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, but it also lost the author of life. Judas, who's so full of remorse, goes and hangs himself tries to hang himself on the same day. Saturday comes, it's called the forgotten day. 
What happens on Saturday? Saturday is a silent day. Saturday is a day where Jesus has been taken down. He's crucified. He's breathed his last. They've stuck a spear in his, probably his heart area here. They've punctured water and blood gushes out. He's taken down. They've got to bury him quickly. Joseph of Arimathea says, I've got a tomb. Wraps him in linen and shoves him in the tomb. And, in the tomb. and Saturday comes and very little is written about Saturday. It's a day where the body of Christ lies buried in a tomb. Jesus, they asked Jesus a bit earlier, they said, Jesus, give us some miraculous signs. He said, the only sign I'll give you is the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah is that where Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. We often say whale, fish. It was impossible to think that this man could spend three days as a prophet in the belly of the fish and three days later be spat out onto the beach and go and preach to Nineveh. He said, that sign is the same sign I will give you. I will be three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, in the belly of the earth. Saturday is that day. Of course, um, Jonah begins to preach to Nineveh, this wicked city. And Jesus will begin to preach to men and women who are lost and broken and wicked. And many will be saved as well. Saturday is a day where we stop. It's like the Sabbath. It's the last day of the week. Saturday is a day where we just stop everything. There's nothing happening. Jesus is in the belly of the earth. He's fighting for our lives. He's fighting sin and devils and Satan and damnation. Are you breathing? Can somebody give me an amen? Sometimes God wants us to wait. Sometimes we're saying, God, I can't cope with the fact that you just are not, I don't know where you are, I don't know if you don't like me, I don't know if you hate me, I don't know if you don't hear my prayers, but where are you? You're just not there. The, the silence of God doesn't mean the absence of God. And oftentimes, brothers and sisters, I can speak from experience, even though I consider myself a young baby Christian, that God says, you wait, son. You wait, son. Some of want this, want that, want a spouse, want this, want that, want that. I want to wait. And there was this time of waiting. I think it was a very long day. Of course, the chief priests didn't forget on Saturday because they said, remember the deceiver said that on the third day he rose again. The disciples forgot it, but the Pharisees were taking notes. They said he said on the Thursday. So they go to Pilate and say, listen, Mr. Pilate, the deceiver said on the third day he's going to be raised from the dead. So could we just post God there just to make sure that they don't steal the body? And so that's what happens on the Saturday, on the Sunday's come, which is today. Early in the morning, some of the women go to his grave to anoint the body of Jesus. <laughs> no one of, the, of his disciples was expecting him. No one was saying, I'm, I'm here, it's the third day. Let's just see where Jesus, how he's going to be raised. Can we, can we watch the event? Can we peek through the stone? No one, even Mary, who now have a big bunch of spices and, and a burial whatever, bombs to go and anoint because he was quickly put into the tomb on Saturday, on Friday evening. He's not here, the angels say to the ladies. He has risen. 
There was shock. There was bewilderment. There were tears. Remember, he told you while he was still with you in Galilee that on the third day, in the, I think the Gospel of Mark, he says it three times. Why do you look for the living among the dead? The good shepherd went out to meet the wolves of sin, as one theologian said, and the wolves of death. No one took his life from him. He laid it down. For whom? For his flock, for his people. Jesus came to lay down his life for us. The point of the cross was not just to die, but to rise again and to defeat death and sin. It's no use just dying. It's, it's, it would be so important that Jesus would be, would be raised from the grave. Amen? Where, O oh death? Paul begins to mock death. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh, uh, oh death, is your sting? Where is your victory? Where is your sting? He mocks death. That's why Paul says, I would actually want to go and be with Jesus. And so death has been defeated. What are some of the comments on the crucifixion? It's the universal symbol of Christianity. It's not a manger. It's not a star in heaven. It's not a carpenter's bench. It's not a boat from which he preached. It's not from where he taught. It's not an empty tomb. It's not a a towel over his arm. It's not bread. It's not wine. It's a cross. It's It's that old piece of wood, vertical and horizontal. That is the symbol of Christianity, that Jesus died for our sin. It's the greatest gift of love. It's not his birth that's the greatest gift of love. It's not his teachings. It's not his serving. It's not his miracles. It's not even the gift of the Holy Spirit, but his death on the cross. And sometimes we still want to say, Jesus, I want more. I want a car. I want a house. I want a girl. I want a good job. Jesus has done, has showed you the ultimate love. That's why Christians who got caught in something of wanting more, the world says, what do you want more for? You've been, you've, he's given you his life, life that he, he sowed on the cross. That's why Christians are fully satisfied, not in things, but in him. Amen. That's why you will always want more. We will, and the Western world, that is Christian world, got caught up in this wanting more and more, and look at the state that they're in. We want more of Jesus. If you have more of Jesus, your heart will be so filled, there will be no room for the other little silver trinklets that shine day and night. It's to the undeserving, brothers and sisters. It is not meritorious. You don't earn it. You receive it as a gift. It's not on worthiness. It's not on deeds. It's based on mercy. On mercy. The measure that you will be measured with is not scales. When you get to heaven, it won't be, okay, bring out the scales. Nick, let's check your, did, it's not scales. It's what? Mercy. When you get to heaven, you don't use the first person. When the, when the, Angel committee gets in and says, well, should we let you in? The last thing you do is you, you speak in the first person, according to Alistair Beggs. You don't speak about, well, I did this. I went to church every Sunday. I got baptized. I tithed. I went to the nations. I prayed kind of most days. I read the Bible 10 times through. What you do is you, you forget the first person. You point to the third person. You point to Jesus. You say, no. Nah. I know one, his name is Jesus. He was merciful to me, a sinner. You know that, that man on the cross, when he, when he gets to heaven, and they say, well, on what basis do you come in here? Were you baptized? No. Did you read the Bible? No. Did you go on mission? No. Did you, did you confess your sins? No. Um, 
Do you know what salvation by grace is? Do you know what, have, have, has your sin been atoned for? I don't even know what that means. How, how is it that you want to come in? It's the man in the middle cross said I could come in. Brothers and sisters, there's nothing as good as the good news of the goodness of God. And all you have to do is look at him. And you've got to say, would you just remember me when you come into your father's kingdom? I mean, I, I mean he, I'm, a bad, I'm a bad guy, man. Did, did you confess your murders and your insurrection, whatever you did? No, but, the, but I just asked him, could you just have mercy on me? And he says, on mercy, you can come in. And some very religious people that were very good think, mm, sorry, ah, this and ah, that. Isn't that wonderful? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. With your heart that you believe in it, and justified with your mouth that you confess and are saved. I remember resisting the cross. I resisted the fact that somebody said, you know, you need to be saved because you're a sinner. I think, don't tell me I'm a sinner, bro. So proud. I don't know why I was so proud. You see, it tells us we can't save ourselves. The cross inflicts mortal wounds to our pride. <laughs> That's why the cross is saying, if you don't preach the cross, you haven't preached the gospel. You've got to actually ultimately find a sense of humility in your heart to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's what my problem was. I, I couldn't come to the place to say, I was so proud. What will people think? What will my peers think? I remember being so proud. I, I used to fear man. I felt God said, don't ever fear man again, son. As I began to give slowly, 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 he began to show me the spirit, began to convict me. Actually, you're proud, Nick. Nick, this is the truth. Hey, Lord, I've got my whole life ahead of me. I'm a cool Durban High School mover. You know what I'm saying? I've got my colors for athletics. I'm a prefect. I've got a couple of girlfriends. Don't bother me, Lord. I want you to come, and I want you to come now. And I want, you to, I want all of you or none of you. And you're a proud young man. Huh? Huh? But the gospel and the spirit began to work. Oh, my word. What a good story. The good news is done, not do. It's done. And on the basis of that, we say, okay, Lord, here I am. What would you have me do? It's because you have done what I could never do, which is being saved. So this is a few observations from Christ being raised. The crowds appeared at his crucifixion in contrast to after his resurrection. Crucifixion, thousands, crucify him, save yourself. <laughs> Spats on him, beats him. But when he's resurrected, I'm thinking, can we have a, can we have a pre-meeting for the resurrection Sunday? Mike, have you got, how many chairs have we got out? Have you got a PA system? Have you got coffee? Have you got food? Have you, can we sort out? Have you got social? Have you got multimedia? Nothing. What? Jesus is the greatest event in the history of humanity. You've been raised from the dead. You've just conquered death. What does he do? He goes to, he appears as a gardener to a forlorn lady. He appears to two disciples leaving the road to Emmaus who are also forlorn and discouraged. He disguises himself. He goes to a man that says, unless I stick my hands in his, my fingers in, his, in, his, um, in the palm of his hand and my, thrust my hand aside, I will never believe. Jesus says, okay, well, feel. He's one that doesn't appear vindicating himself, marching to the Pharisees and the Roman soldiers on chariots and a whole entourage, and in a transfigured glory like he did on the Mount of Transfiguration with the three 
He doesn't even go to them. He goes to a few, he goes to a few broken people. He goes to Peter who has gone back fishing because Peter had said, I'm just such a clown. I've so messed up. If you've messed up this morning, let Jesus reinstate you. Just, just say, come. Do you love me? Of course I love you. Look after my sheep. Amen. And so Jesus does the unthinkable. He shows everyone his scars. He hides himself. There's no fanfare. Isn't that amazing? I find Jesus extraordinary. I used to be embarrassed of him. I find Jesus, if I can share this, I hope Cutty doesn't mind, but I've watched her fall more and more in love with Jesus. I've watched her, I said to her, isn't it a privilege that we're in ministry, we can give a lot of time to the word and to prayer and to, and to being in the presence of God. And I said, actually, I, I wish I could have given you a nicer car, a nicer house, more children and everything, everything that you would want. But actually, we've got Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the Western world is going nuts. I'm telling you, the Western world is going bazooka nuts. There is something, I've, I've, I've been a keen observer of history, and I've been a keen observer of trends. I've been a very keen observer of what's happening in, in, the, east, in the east, far east with Russia and Ukraine and all those nations, and, and now suddenly Sweden and Finland and Denmark all becoming militant. There's saber rattling up. But I can tell you this, we need Jesus now more than ever. Social media is taking us out the internet is taking us out. Sexuality is taking us out. We need Jesus, the risen Christ. We live and die. Christ died and he lived. The natural process established by God is birth, growth, decay, death, and dissolution. You are dust and unto dust you shall return. Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, is the supreme manifestation of the supernatural power of God. He reverses that process. It resonates deeply within our human essence and longing. All people from all times have always wondered about the afterlife. Even demonic, Satan-worshipping people. They all talk about, even tribes in the Amazon, they all talk about the other life. There is an intrinsic essence in us that says there has to be more. You, you even see people that will never mention God who will lose a child or a spouse will say, I'll see you in the by and by. Jesus' resurrection makes perfect sense to us. The resurrection of Jesus, we should be able to say, that makes sense. In Adam all die, in Jesus all live. You just got to be in Jesus. And so, where am I? It's amazing when Jesus appears. He doesn't say, Peter, what's wrong with you, bro? Mary, disciples, Thomas, what does he say? Peace be with you. Peace, shalom. Hey, I'm, a, I'm a bad guy. Somebody once said to me, Nick, if you knew how bad I was, I said, <laughs> Jesus is right for you, my brother. The fact that you say that tells me, I say, you're bad. He says, I'm bad. I said, there were some bad O's in the devil, in the Bible. <laughs> Shalom. What does the resurrection mean for us? 
as I close. The resurrection means you, you can experience a new life. You know the tomb that was where the body was in the tomb and the stone? That's a picture of us. We're, we're entombed and sometimes we're locked up. You must say, Nick, my grandfather, his father, which is my great-grandfather, my father, me, and actually I see in my son stuff that's like a tomb. It's like, don't dig it. We have a habit of being violent with women. We have a habit of being angry. We have a habit of drinking. We have a habit of pride. We have a habit of adultery. It's not me, bro. It's my father, and it's his father. That's the tomb. That's the rock. That's Satan saying, I got you. You know what a resurrection does? Earthquake. Stone. And actually, the, the, the power of Christ. You know, people say, you know, Nick, uh, you, can I talk into depression just for a moment? Because it's, it's, it's blown over us like a morning fog. People say, oh, Mr. Preacher, don't, don't touch the sacred area. I will touch it. Because... I need sometimes, the, 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 the clouds of depression, the spirit of depression will come and knock on your door. <laughs> I've had tea with you. I've got a carrot cake. Or some scones and some cream, and we're going to have a discussion about why you should be down. And why resurrection life I will not entertain you. Jesus, you rose from the dead. You were raised and seated in heavenly places. And if you're in Christ, you have been raised and seated with Christ in heavenly places. I'm going to fight for resurrection life. I want resurrection life to impact me. Sometimes my wife, which happened this weekend, said, can I speak to you? I said, oof. And I was a little defensive. I apologize. Sorry, we're just having a domestic moment. But I want to be able to say... Thank you. And what you're saying, there is truth in that. Resurrection life. Why are you so fearful? Why are you worrying about what everyone says? Resurrection life. Why do you fear man? My, in my family, everyone loses money. They lose their jobs. I can't find a job. This is South Africa, bro. Lift your hands. Lift your hands and say, Jesus change, but give me resurrection life. People don't like me. Get resurrection life. Get the gospel in you. Back to my notes. Nearly finished. Do you know that the disciples were terrible for the three years with Jesus? They actually were very average. That even after the resurrection of Jesus, they were still iffy. Some didn't believe even on, on, in Matthew 28. They still didn't believe. Or Mark, I think it is. Mark's gospel. But when Pentecost came, when the Spirit was poured out, they ran like rabbits when Jesus was crucified. No one was found at the tomb. But actually, once Jesus had been resurrected and he had spoken to them and he poured out his Spirit, they became, they said, we'll die for him. Of the, of the 12, Judas died and 10 were martyred for their faith. You will be never martyred if the... If the, the the resurrection of Jesus was fake. You would, they would say, listen, this is a hoax, bro. Don't, don't give your life for this thing. But they said, we will willingly die. We've we saw him go into the clouds, amen? The, 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 the fact that the apostles and the disciples were, were, 
happy to be whipped and lay their lives down is evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. How do I close? What does Nikki Gumbel say? Five reasons to be in the resurrection. The empty tomb, the appearance of Jesus, transformed disciples, the impact of history, and the experience of billions. D.A. Carson, Don Carson, Canadian theologian, many of you would have read his books. He said it's a bit like this. He says you can imagine the two Jewish men in Goshen, which is Egypt, which is under the, 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 the canopy of Pharaoh, and, um, and there's been all these plagues, and Moses has been having an argument with Pharaoh, and there's these rats and gnats and hail and boils and rivers have turned to blood, etc., etc., etc. And then God says, okay, finally, this is the last straw. The angel of death is going to pass over. Now, when you say the angel of death, it's a serious thing. The angel of death is going to come pass over. And you've got to take some blood from a lamb. And you've got to stick it on your lintels, on your doorposts and your lintels. And you should eat the sacrifice with your family. And the angel of death that's going to hit every animal and human that is born, firstborn. And you can imagine the one guy says, well, what's your problem? He says, well, geez, I'm a bit nervous about this. I mean, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know, what, like, what, I've only got one son, you've got five. What if, what if he takes my son, or what happens if he makes a mistake? I mean, the angel of death is a, is, a, is a spirit that would come over the land and just take out. It's judgment. Like, I mean, you know, use fine, I'm not. And we know they do it, and then the angel of death passes over. Who loses their son? Not the man that's saying it's going to happen, nor the man that says, I was nervous. I was afraid. My knees were trembling. It's not the quality of your faith. It's the object of your faith. It's not how much faith you have. It's do you know him? It's, it's Jesus. That's why we, we just say, like I say, Francis, how much faith you got, bro? A year of little faith. No. That's why we preach the Christ. Jesus, I'm closing, I'm finished. Jesus is our champion. It's a, it's a word that, it's a champion would be one who stands between two armies. Jesus, like David, um, the Philistines had a champion in Goliath. Okay? And this was the idea. You, Israel, bring out your champion. This is our champion. And if this champion beats this champion, then this whole nation is subjugated to us. So if Goliath takes out your champion, whoever he may be, Israel will serve us. But if Israel takes out Goliath, you, the Philistines, will serve us. Jesus is our champion. Jesus, you're not the, I'm not the champion. We, we're behind Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus he, he arises. He says, kill me. Take me out. Smash me. Punch me. Put a crown of thorns on my head. Spits on me. Put a purple robe on me. This is the son of God, brothers and sisters, who at a flick could say, legions, enough. He didn't. He surrendered. He was bloodied, beaten, smashed with a whip. He had to carry his cross. Simon of Cyrene helped him for a moment, but he carried his cross. He hung on the cross, and he defeated death. He is our champion. Make him your champion. Come into the middle. Amen. Let your life count. Thank you so much for listening. I hand over to you. Is it Mikey?